It's great to see uh, most from our uh, youth retreat back. I'm glad that they made a safe, had a safe trip back. And uh, I know they are tired because uh, uh, they. Um, uh, I came from there this morning, and I'm still uh, running on fumes myself. And so uh, uh, we're thankful for the safe travel, but also for the great weekend that was planned uh, by Dustin and others, and also uh, for uh, those adults who went and all those young people uh, as well. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, and we'll uh, begin there reading uh, to set up for what we're going to talk about uh, here tonight. I appreciate uh, Bill Bagents and Corey Collins in writing this book. Uh, it's been uh, very challenging and eye-opening for me. I hope it has for you. And tonight's lesson from uh, the chapter, uh, from the next chapter in that book, is the same way. And so I want to want us to begin in Ephesians chapter four. And our text, our main text, has been verses eleven through sixteen, where Paul says, "And he himself gave some to be apostles." some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, that's building up, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of man in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. And verse 15 is what we want to look at tonight. But speaking the truth in love may grow up, and we talked about growth this morning, in all things into Him who is the head that is Christ. And so Paul reminds them when we speak the truth, we speak it in love, Focusing on Christ being the head of the body. Have you ever had a situation where you maybe had a neighbor or a friend or a co-worker that you were trying to build a relationship with? And you knew that uh, person had some things in their life that, that uh, was not in accordance with God's will. And they knew you were a Christian and you knew that sometimes, uh, sometime in building that relationship with that person or those people, uh, that uh, that was going to come up. They were going to ask your opinion on what you thought about uh, maybe some things that they were involved in. Uh, maybe even um, uh, there, there's other situations in dealing with other different types or different kinds of people. And, and so the question comes up as, we, as Paul deals with this in challenging us and challenging Christians to be equipped in the work of ministry. How do we handle such situations? Knowing how to speak the truth in love is very important for the Christian. Uh, for Christians as they involve themselves in the work of ministry. We've heard lessons and thoughts uh, a lot on our words and choosing our words wisely. And we'll note some of those and even some of those uh, sayings that have always been taught and passed down from generation to generation. And they serve as truth. But speaking the truth in love is evidence of a Christian's growth in the image of Christ. Paul said, speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things into Him, Christ, who is the head, head of the body. 
And so in this chapter, Bajitz and Collins, they talk about several things dealing with speaking the truth in love. First thing they talk about is they go back and they look at uh, some biblical examples. And so I want us to do that. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Christians are passionate about truth, right? Uh, the Bible talks about Jesus being truth. Um, and the Bible talks about truth and sharing truth. And so Christians, we're passionate and always have been passionate about truth. And we know that this passion must be tempered with the, with by knowledge, by knowledge of Christ, by knowledge of His Word, and by love. Someone has said, In what they must have believed to be righteous indignation, the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? And we'll read that in Luke in just a minute. They were standing up for Jesus. They were taking a stand. They were uh, taking a stand. They were showing their faith. Uh, the, Luke records in Luke 9, 54 and following. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, I remember this was towards those Samaritans, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from, the, from heaven and consume them as Elijah did? But he turned and he rebuked them. You see, that's how James and John wanted to handle the situation. Uh, they, had, they had not responded to Jesus and, and the other apostles very well. And so James and John, their idea was, listen, this is Jesus, this is my Lord. Lord, you want us to call fire down from heaven and consume them? And the Lord said, no, you do not know what manner of spirit you are. Jesus tells them, listen, you're not being of the right spirit. Did He not say a similar thing uh, to Peter when Peter said, uh, when, when, when Peter uh, was rebuking the Lord? And he said, no, get behind me, Satan. In their zeal to stand up for Jesus, they had forgotten the mission of Jesus. Jesus never forgot His mission, did He? His mission was to seek and save that which was lost. And He did that. And He showed compassion to those, even those who were different. They had forgotten the Christ-like attitude which should always accompany faith. The Lord did speak some harsh words when they were needed. Uh, for example, turning your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus began speaking all these woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. Who were the scribes and the Pharisees? They were the religious leaders. They were the ones who many times uh, added to the law, developed these other laws and things, that, and they required that on other people that they themselves struggled to keep. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 and following, as He has given these woes to these scribes and Pharisees, He still laments over Jerusalem. He's given them some, some tough things to swallow, some truths. And He says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left, uh, has, is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Jesus gave them some challenges. Jesus gave them some truths. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! Yet, this gives us the attitude in which He even gave that those kind of words. He lamented. He lamented over Jerusalem. These verses show that even those woes spoken by Jesus, He did so out of love. But Jesus knew the men's, knew men's hearts, didn't He? We don't have that ability to know men's hearts. Now, we can see some evidence of people's hearts and their motivation and their character. We can see some evidence of that, but we can't know people's hearts like Jesus did. And so, we are left with a challenge to measure our words very carefully. Paul also spoke some hard words when they were needed. In fact, to the Christians at, uh, at Corinth, he confronted them on what we might call preacheritis. In other words, they were saying, well, this is my guy and that's my guy. He's the one that baptized me. He's the one I follow. And Paul says, listen, is Christ divided? Christ is not divided. It's not about who your preacher is. It's not about who the person is you follow. Because you see, speaking the truth in love, focusing on who? On Christ. Christ is the head. And Paul tried to get these brethren to remember that. Even in, in confronting them with this struggle, this, this situation that they had of dividing and following certain people, he did so in pleading with them as brethren. And he said, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. Here's your focus, church. Here's your focus. Even while getting on the brethren for their misuse of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, he reminded them of their unity in Christ. You have these gifts, why? Not so you can be, number one. Because it's all about Christ. He reminded them of what he called a more excellent way in 1 Corinthians 13. That being the way of love. Bages and Collins, and, and this tonight's lesson, I have several quotes from them because they had some good things to say in this chapter. They said, Paul, when essential for the defense of the gospel, rebuked Peter to his face. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. But this rebuke carried no personal malice. You see, when he, uh, when he rebuked Peter, it wasn't about putting Peter down. It wasn't about even trying to embarrass Peter or anything like that. In fact, they say, to the eternal credit of both men, it did not destroy their relationship. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter referred to Paul as our beloved brother. In the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, this is also a great example of speaking the truth in love. You remember... You remember in that parable, a father had two sons. One came to him and said, hey, uh, let me have my inheritance. Gives him his inheritance. He goes off and uh, he lives it in riotous living. Wild living. Until he comes to his senses. And then he returns home. The father's looking for him. But where's the other brother? He's still doing his work. He's still doing what he's supposed to do. And when he hears all this partying going on, he, he becomes uh, furious with what's happening. And notice how the, the father reasoned with the older son. The father came out and pleaded with him. 
The father didn't wait around on the older son. The father went and pleaded with the older son. Even though the son was wrong. Even though the older son was in the wrong. The father made the first move. You see, he listened to his son's complaint. I've done all this. I've been faithful to you. I haven't, I haven't even asked for to have a party. And yet, you do all this for this son that's gone off and wasted your living, your inheritance? You see, listening is important. Listening does not imply that we agree. But it's important. And it shows respect. And it shows love and compassion for uh, the one speaking. He also spoke lovingly himself to his son. Despite the son speaking harshly to him. Now that's tough, isn't it? As a parent, a young person uh, raised their voice to us. That's tough not to raise our voice back to them. Uh, anybody, someone lashing out at us in words, it's hard not to lash back at them in words. But this father, even though this son spoke harshly to him, he called him son. He confirmed his relationship and his commitment to his son. Bages and Collins says he acknowledged the wrongdoing of the prodigal son or the prodigal by saying your brother was who was dead. And he acknowledged the son's, in a sense, rebirth, describing him as he is alive again. He's saying, You're my son, you've been faithful. But this brother. My other son, he was dead. He was wrong. He was dead, but now he is returned and he is alive again. And then they mention a couple examples in the Old Testament, both dealing with, with King David. First Samuel chapter 25, uh, David had this highly negative encounter with Nabal. After protecting Nabal's servants and his flocks, he, David then goes to Nabal and he says, Listen, uh, I, I want to come and, and receive some hospitality from you. I want to come and uh, come through your area and I want to spend some time with you. And Nabal responded with rudeness. Turn, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 25 and I want you to notice uh, what those, uh, what those, what Nabal said to David and his followers. Chapter well, oh, I'm in the wrong book. Okay, I'm still asleep. 1 Samuel chapter 25, verses 10 and 11. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each from... One from his master. Shall I then take my bread and water and my meat that I have killed for my shares and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? Now David is taking care of these people. And now this guy is responding in a rude way. And David doesn't take too kind to that in the next few verses. But I want you to notice what happens Nabal's wife, Abigail, she learned of her husband's insult to David and his men. And so, later down in the chapter, she goes to David herself. 
she goes with all the provisions that David would need. And she begged his mercy and forgiveness. The Bible says she fell down before him. You see, she admitted to the insults of her, fa- of her husband. But she even did it in a way that was loving, uh, compassionate toward David. And as a result, David and his men were taken care of. Also in 2 Samuel chapter 12, you remember that story? When David had committed these sins against God with Bathsheba, had Uriah killed, broke some other of the Ten Commandments. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet Nathan, he tells David a story. Now this is interesting. David is wrong. David has sinned. David has committed some big sins against God. And the man of God came to David. He was confronting David because of what has happened. And do you remember how he handled that? He told David a story about a little ewe lamb. And how these two neighbors lived beside one another. One had more than the other and Uh, This other neighbor, they had this little ewe lamb and they treated it like family. Let it eat from their table. But the neighbor who was more well off, when uh, a guest came by, he didn't take from his own. He took from the neighbor with the little ewe lamb. David was furious. And he said, this man ought to die. And Nathan, I'm sure in the most loving, compassionate way he could, said, David... You're that man. You are that man. And because of the way this truth was spoken, David realized his condition. And he repented. So there's some great Bible examples in the Word of God that show us how to speak the truth in love. And of course, we always could look at our Savior Jesus Christ and how He handled Speaking the truth in love. Because Jesus always spoke the truth. Some of those that come to my mind is one that we've already looked at. Actually a couple. Uh, The truth that He spoke to uh, Nicodemus. The truth that He spoke to the woman at the well. Who Jesus knew. Jesus knew where where she stood. Jesus knew where Nicodemus stood. Because the end of chapter 2, the Lord knows all men. Coming up in a few chapters will be the woman that will be caught in the very act of adultery. And we'll see how Jesus spoke truth to this lady. Bates and Collins go and they talk about anger. We sang that song about angry words. Anger, you know, can be an appropriate and powerful emotion. The trouble comes when we allow anger to control us. Our Lord became angry. Remember when he cleansed the temple? He was angered. But the Bible also says, be angry and sin not. There's a character in the Old Testament that God saw that happening to. God saw anger controlling him, and that was Cain in Genesis chapter 4. You remember he told Cain, Cain, examine yourself, examine your feelings, examine your emotions, examine your anger. Why are you angry with your brother? Cain needed to exercise self-control. 
And we all have the ability to evaluate our emotions. Uh, I'm reminded a few years ago, uh, we were at school, a meeting of uh, athletic meeting. Uh, with all the parents, our kids were playing sports. And I, I'm, I, this wasn't just at that school, I've heard it at other schools. And coaches always, when they start meetings, uh, they want to they head things off up front. You, got, you, you men and women who have coached before, you understand. It, you learn that it's better to, uh, to meet the issues up front, right? And so most coaches have this rule. They call it the 24-hour rule. In other words, when an event is over, do not bring me your problems and your frustrations. Don't bring it to me. Take 24 hours and that gives you time to evaluate your feelings. Maybe it was just the heat of the moment. Evaluate those feelings and then come back to me and then we can talk about it. Sounds like a good practice. Bajeson Collins says, No matter how strong an emotion may be, we have the God-given ability to choose righteous behavior. Righteous behavior includes righteousness or righteous loving words. It's interesting as uh, Dustin asked um, myself and Miss Amanda Cunningham uh, to speak about attitude. He over me in our attitude... And so I, I just got online and I started uh, Googling things about our brains. Because I'd heard some things about the wiring of your brain. And how a lot of people think that we're hardwired. But these articles seem to suggest, from neuroscience, these articles seem to suggest that uh, really our brains are moldable. Which suggests that we can't say, hey, that's just me. Well, I just say what I think. And neuroscience, and of course the Bible said it first, neuroscience reiterates what the proverb said, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We all have the God-given ability to choose righteous behavior. We all have the God-given ability to choose our words. We all have the God-given ability to choose how we share those words. You see, anger also tends to shut down higher thinking. It can cause us to forget uh, that every human being is created in the image of God. Even if we don't like them. Even if we don't like the way they look or the way they live or, or, or whatever. Every human being is created in the image of God. And when we become angry about certain things, sometimes that higher thinking goes right out the door, doesn't it? It can also make us forget that we too have our own moments of foolishness and sin. You see, it takes spiritual wisdom to battle the energy of anger. Here's one of those sayings. Conventional wisdom says, when angry, count to ten. When very angry, count to 100. Maybe you were brought up with sayings like, when you become angry, before you speak, hold your breath. Count to 10. 
Give your time, yourself time to settle down. Because we have the God-given ability to choose our behavior and to choose our thoughts and to choose our words. But spiritual wisdom is even better and even stronger. When angry, pray. When angry, revisit verses like 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails. Is long-suffering. And other Scriptures like Luke 23 and verse 34 and Acts 7 and verse 60. Anger can be an appropriate and powerful emotion. Jesus showed us that example. But the problem comes when we allow that to control us. And we don't keep our anger in control remembering that it's all about Christ. Bates and Collins talk about speaking the truth in love. And they say, even when we are defending the gospel, we must avoid the temptation to enjoy a good fight. Even when we are defending the gospel, we must avoid the temptation to enjoy a good fight. Why do we speak the truth in the first place? What was the mission of Christ? He came to seek and save the lost. It wasn't that the world might be condemned, is it? You see, Jesus didn't come and walk on the earth and say, I'm going to show them now. Even when He gave woes to the scribes and Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders who should have known better, He lamented. He lamented over them and their spiritual condition. Elders are seen as mature leaders and examples of the church, aren't they? And in fact, Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7, through 7, he reminds us that elders must not be violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. He also reminds Titus in Titus chapter 2 and verse 2, suggests that being sound in love and in patience are just as important as being sound in faith. He says that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. 1 Corinthians 13, we've already mentioned, describes love as being patient and kind and not being rude in behavior and not being easily provoked. That's love. That's love under control, under the control of Christ because Christ is the head. And everything we do, it's about Christ. And it's about bringing glory and honor to Him. He's the head. And it's about looking at our world and being sad of its condition in the lost state that it is. And loving them like God did and says, I want to share truth with you. Not my truth, not what I believe, but God's truth. Because I've learned that on the day of judgment, I will answer based on how I've applied these truths to my life. And I want you to know this truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 26, 24 and following, Paul writes, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. In God, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, 
so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. How did they present? How did Paul say these servants of the Lord were to present the truth? In humility, correcting those who are in opposition of God. You see, Christians who are equipped for the work of ministry certainly stand for truth. But we must take that stand gently, humbly, and patiently. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, "...but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks your reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear." Listen to two other versions. One version says, "...in gentleness and respect." Another version says, "...always with the utmost courtesy." So yes, I'm ready to give a defense. Yes, I learn what I can about God and His truth found only in His Word. But I don't, I don't present that to them as a judge bringing down the hammer of condemnation. I present it like Jesus did. In love and compassion. Because we do not want to see people burn in hell Forever. And folks, when I think about the truth of God's Word and presenting it, that brings things to a different light, doesn't it? When we think about presenting it the way Jesus did. Peter said, we, have sanct- we sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. We have set apart the Lord God in our hearts. That's the basis. That's the foundation. Bages and Collins quote this. They write this. Even when standing up for God's truth, our goal is not merely to win an argument or to prove our point. Our goal is to lead others to love God and follow Him faithfully. That's our goal. That should be our goal. That's the goal of Jesus. When He walked on this earth, He's our example. He's given us the example to follow. Just like Nathan, many times Jesus used stories to get people's attention and to see their spiritual condition or their spiritual need. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, Walk in wisdom... Walk in wisdom about what? Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace. Seasoned with salt. That you may know how you ought to answer each one. Bages and Collins says, This passage reminds us that speaking the truth in love is both an attitude and an art. One thing we learned this weekend, especially from those articles and from Scripture, is that attitude comes from what we set our mind on. So if we set our mind on Christ, if we set our mind on redeeming the time, if we set our mind on sharing Jesus with people and the truth of His Word 
in compassion and love. That makes all the difference. It says, season with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. It is learned only by prayerful, consistent practice. But when we learn it, people will recognize we belong to Jesus. I love that. They write, when people learn it, other people will recognize that we belong to Jesus. When we speak the truth in love, just as Jesus did, maybe then we can be accused with Peter. Hey, you're one of them, aren't you? Yes. And I wish you would be too. But what about speaking the truth without love? What happens when Christians speak the truth without love? Here's what happens. Feelings are hurt. Barriers are erected. Errant positions are entrenched. Scripture is violated and confusion reigns. I want to close with an illustration. But I want, I want you to hear the summation that Bajants and Collins share about speaking the truth in love. If people know nothing else about God, they know 1 John 4 and verse 8. For God is love. Even if they do not uh, yet appreciate the gift, they often know John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Even if they don't know the citation, they know the truth of 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7 and Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44 that Christians are supposed to love both their brethren and their enemies. When truth is spoken without love, crucial aspects of truth are denied. When truth is spoken without love, they say, Christ or God is misrepresented. When truth is spoken without love, soul-saving opportunities are lost. Paul said, speak the truth in love. Knowing that our love comes from the love of God, which was extended to mankind through Jesus Christ. Our love and our example of love and speaking the truth in love comes from Jesus Christ and other biblical examples. John Taylor, he was the president of the Council of the Twelve. When two men came to him for a resolution of a bitter, bitter quarrel that had alienated them from each other. President Taylor was exceptionally, an exceptionally good singer with emotional power. And so he told the two, Brethren, before I hear your case, I would like very much to sing one of the songs of Zion for you. When he had finished, he commented that he never heard one of the church's hymns without wanting to hear another and so, and so sang one more, and then another, and then another. And finally, the two men were moved to tears and left, fully reconciled, without any discussion of their problem. You see, when truth is shared in the proper way, it's not a 100% guarantee that people will listen to it. 
I believe the apostles did a great job, as much as they could, following the example of Jesus, of sharing truth to people. And as a result, they were killed for it. But also as a result, many, many people gave their life to Christ. Many, many people, when they were buried with Christ in baptism, and they began their faith walk, were added to the church because they spoke the truth in love. And the same thing will happen today. There will be people that will not want to hear. And we respectfully honor that. Yet keep living our lives and keep looking for opportunities. And when asked, 1 Peter 3.15, why do you believe that? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about the love God has for you that God had for me. Let me tell you about what Jesus did on the cross and why. Let me tell you about why I walk in those doors of that church every week. Let me tell you why. And I'd love for you to have a relationship with Jesus too. I'd love for you to be a part of what we're trying to accomplish. The will of God. And then we've done our part. And as long as we do that, honoring Christ, because Paul said, speak the truth in love, because our focus is on the head, Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here tonight, and maybe you haven't given your life to Jesus. It's our prayer that you will do so. Listen, we want you to know the Christian life is a wonderful life. But we also want you to know the Christian life is not an easy life. You know, I, I think like the men from Teen Challenge speaking about what they do, they tell those guys, this is not an easy program because there's a lot of Bible. There's a lot of Jesus. The Christian life is not an easy life. It wasn't for the New Testament church. It wasn't for the apostles. And in some parts of the world, it causes people to die. But you know, it's way... Well, I mean, we can't even imagine how much better that is than the alternative. And so it's our prayer that if you would like to give your life to Jesus tonight, Jesus loved you. Many times the Bible, we, we talk about Jesus loved you this much, that He went to the cross to die for you, to redeem you back to a, loving, or to a faithful relationship, a pure relationship with Father God. Maybe you're here tonight and you just need the prayers of the church. I, I love this church family. I love the way this church family reaches out to people. People that even come into our services but also those who say, you know what? I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Whether it's with anger, whether it's the way I've spoken to people, or whether it's the, the things that Satan has put in my life, the burdens I'm carrying. And so if you're in that condition tonight, know 
This body will not stand and condemn you, but will put their arm around you and say, we're with you. And if you've been here any time, you know that. So if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation tonight, don't wait another moment, but come forward and let us assist you any way we can as together we stand and sing.